You're listening to The Author's Leverage, where it's all about your book and how to create a greater impact and a greater income with it. This podcast is for the author who knows there's more you can do with that book. Whether you're publishing your first one ever or you've written multiple bestsellers, the path to greatness begins by looking around and seeing that you are, at this moment, standing right in the middle of your own acre of diamonds. My friends, your book is a brand. I'm Parshel Tashi, creative entrepreneur and education design architect, and I'll be your guide diving into the minds of successful authors, renowned publishers, and industry experts to glean practical wisdom you can integrate into your book writing, launch, and marketing strategies today. You'll hear straight from the source how authors like you were able to publish their best work and build wildly profitable, successful businesses around it. Welcome aboard the Author's Leverage. Welcome, everyone. I'm so excited that you're here. This is the author's leverage, and I'm so privileged I get to talk with uh, book publishers, authors, experts, those that are in this field that support authors in doing their best work in writing, publishing, distributing their best work. And I have the privilege and honor of having with me today Miss Bryna Hayes. Let me introduce you to Bryna, and then we're going to bring her on. So excited for this. Um, Bryna is the founder and CEO of World Changers Media. As a nationally known book strategist, speaker, ghostwriter, and editor, she's helped hundreds of thought leaders, teachers, healers, and enlightened entrepreneurs deliver their messages and radically up-level their expert status through best-selling, impact-driven books. Um, the title she claims in her spare time is Self-Reinvention Savant. If I said that right, <laughs> I think I um, she's an artist, a Lego castle designer, a dragon tamer. We'll ask her about that. Um, a luxury travel hacker and connoisseur of kick-ass boots. Wow. Hello. James. Hey. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited yes. to be here with you, Parshal. Yes. And as soon as I said, I, I saw the dragon tamer, I was like, where did that come from? And now I remember so behind you is this beautiful art of a dragon. And yes, there it is. And I remember seeing that thinking like, I mean, it just drew my attention so much so. So um, I think from what you told me, like that's your animal, that's your uh, spirit animal, right? That's so it, it is, yes. I, um, you know, some of us are lucky enough to be able to meet some of our spirit guides and spirit animals and one of mine just happens to be an amazing dragon. And um, that painting that, uh, that you pointed out, I can, I can show it again. Uh, this is an original piece by my friend, Joanna Reed, and she painted, she was given permission to paint my spirit dragon. And this is the masterpiece she produced. So, oh, that's um, so beautiful. yeah. Yeah, let's jump into that. So how does the dragon, how does that fit into and fuel what you've been able to do um, in this work? How long have you been doing this? Oh my goodness. Well, that's a really good question. So I've been in the book and publishing world for about 15 years. I started off as a freelance editor, ghostwriter, um, you know, jack of all trades uh, or Jill of all trades or however you want to put that. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's a funny thing because I first met my spirit dragon as um, when I was in my late teens and whenever I needed protection, psychic or otherwise, I would feel him curl up like a scarf around my neck. <laughs> and then over the years, his form changed and he just kept getting bigger and bigger. It's like, oh, okay, so this is, this is showing me how I need to be in the world. I don't need to be safe and small and protected anymore. That's not serving me. That's not serving anyone really. And, um, you know, it's time to spread my wings. But uh, this particular dragon is... Um, tied to um, the hermetic works and um, represents knowledge and wisdom. And that's one of, that's one of his expressions. And so um, it feels very supportive. And I feel like is, is, you know, as all things are connected and as all of us are connected, right? Um, but in particular, this feels like, a, like an amazing connection because my work here is really around the 
expansion and manifestation of ideas, particularly ideas for positive change, ideas to move humanity forward. Absolutely. So. I love that. I love that. And I think as well, as you, as you just brought up, when it comes to sharing that expertise and what we know in the world, I find even the best of the best need to be validated in their ideas, right? They need someone to hear it out. Like, how important is that in the process? <laughs> well, you know, it's a funny thing because um, I used to believe that ideas, not, not that they existed in a vacuum, but that their, their merit lay purely in their, their initiation, right? And what I found over the years is that any idea becomes more powerful when other people can leverage it. And so there is a level of validation that almost needs to happen for an idea to be useful in the world. And this is a process that I see all of our authors go through. And I know, you know, all creatives in any format, right? A lot of us will go through this, um, whether it's through visual art or music, right? When something leaves the nest of our brain and goes out into the world and starts becoming its own thing, it inevitably grows and changes. And our job as creatives is to know when that evolution is far enough along that we can let it go. And, um, and so, you know, when it comes to validation, the validation isn't that the idea is a good idea. It's that the idea can be made to be useful for someone other than you. Interesting. And when you frame it that way, we can kind of pull the ego and the sensitivity out of it and just ask ourselves, have I helped this idea evolve to the point where someone else can make use of it? where it doesn't just make sense to me, it makes sense to them and it's actionable. And that I think is a much better question than, you know, do other people like this idea? Um, liking an idea and being able to use it are two different things. Exactly. And when we're talking about books, we're talking about you know things and assets that are going to be out in a world of commerce. So someone liking it versus feeling, like you said, the, the, the need for it for themselves is, is a little bit different. It goes a little bit deeper, but in the same way, removes that ego of like, oh, I hope people like this, but it's different when you have that question of, hmm, is this going to be useful going out of my head and into another person? Well, I think, you know, for all of us, we all have the books that changed our lives, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, we all have that list living in our head. And I bet you, if we look at that list of books that changed our lives, it's not just the ideas or the information. It's the way that the idea and information were presented in order to make it actionable in our lives. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, some of the books that are consistently on everybody's, you know, favorite books of all time lists are books that have managed to, to have two things. One is the big, amazing, world-changing idea. And the other is the unpacking of the idea in a way that makes it actionable. And when those two things come together, then you have this book that people are going to be raving over because they can do something with it. It's not just more nuggets of information that are going to live in their head. <laughs> exactly. I, that, that's such a beautiful way to, to break it down. The book has a good, solid idea, and it's been expressed in a way that can be that's actionable. And, um, and I would throw in there, too, as that old school teacher in me is like, and make it fun for them. Make it exciting, totally. make it engaging, right? <laughs> I taught high school math yes. for teenagers. So, you know, it was a thing to get some level of involvement, um, if you will. But yeah. I think that that's an interesting key as well. So uh, we're already kind of on the topic, which which is what makes a book really, really great. And um, and I encourage everyone listening as well, like if um, if you think about those books that have really changed your world, right, what are some of those aspects. And I'm pretty sure it's going to um, lead its way back to these two concepts is a really strong idea. And it was expressed in a way that was compelling and it got people to take some action because that's therein where the change actually happens. Exactly. I mean, we all just have so many pieces of information just 
literally thrown at us every single day. And the information that stands out is the information that's immediately relevant to our lives that we can actually do something about. And that, like you said, is, is fun or engages us at some emotional level, right? Um, you know, sometimes we're looking to solve a problem that's causing us a lot of pain. Sometimes we're looking to solve a problem of finding more joy or finding more pleasure. Um, and sometimes it's just really practical, you know? Um, but to me, great books are those that start with you exactly where you are and bring you three steps up a ladder so that you've accomplished something tangible. You have a different perspective. Now you're three steps up. The world looks different when you're three steps up a ladder than it does when you're on the ground. And you feel inspired to continue to climb. So, you know, if, if it's 10 steps to get to the top of the ladder, we really want a book to bring us three or four steps of that distance. Um, to try to bring someone from zero to 10 in the scope of a book will result in a really dense book that won't actually be as useful to people, which is sort of counterintuitive, right? So many authors I meet want to give people the whole picture and all the things. And it's like, no, because not everybody wants to be at the top of the ladder. Some people just want to climb three steps up, get a new perspective and continue from that place. Um, and so a really great book understands the needs and desires of its audience and really endeavors to bring them three solid steps up that they will not then need to backtrack in order to get on with their lives. They can actually operate from this new level with this new information. Um, and really great books use good stories. And we all have good stories. It's not, it's not that, um, you know, we need this like whole, like I climbed Mount Everest and got stuck in a snow cave or like whatever. Um, that's cool if you did that. But for most of us, you know, we look at our lives and we're like, yeah, this is mildly interesting stuff. Right. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. That's how I look at my life anyway. Like, that's mildly interesting. Right. But, but the fact is that people learn best through story. And so um, books that are really memorable have really good stories and they don't have to be, again, this big momentous thing, but they tap into where the reader is currently living, feeling, operating and bring them on a journey throughout the course of the book. And it can be as simple as this is my life before I learned to code my own website. And this is my life after I learned to code my own website. And my life is better. And I can tell some funny stories in between. But it all works because the, re the reader has a reason to know that information. And they have an emotional connection to why that information is relevant. So in the pursuit of great books... That's a pretty broad definition of great books. Um, the way that I teach it is actually, um, people laugh at me all the time. So <laughs> I, if you can't tell from the dragon, I have been a lifelong fantasy geek. <laughs> and I, in my spare time, I read almost nothing but fantasy fiction. Because if I'm reading in my bed at night, I don't wanna be here on planet earth, I wanna be somewhere else, cause that's more fun. Um, and so I struggled for a long time because here I am, I'm this, you know, nonfiction ghostwriter, you know, I've got some credentials, I've got some credibility and I'm like, I'm afraid to tell people that I don't read nonfiction in my spare time. Um, but I've since let that go because that's silly. Um, we get to be all of who we are, yes. which is wonderful. Um, and, um, and actually, it's amazing what being in that world as a consumer has taught me about what makes books relevant in the nonfiction space. Um, because regardless of whether we're writing fantasy or a how-to book, um, there are certain elements that are present 
that can actually really contribute to the usefulness of the idea. One of those is world building, believe it or not. Okay. When you, yeah. So when you think about world building, uh, go look up Brandon Sanderson on YouTube and listen to his lectures. He teaches at Brigham and Young University. He does these amazing lecture series on, you know, how to become a fantasy author. But world building is essentially, you know, setting the stage. It's all of the elements that make a story feel real. And when we learn about world building, we learn a lot about storytelling. What are the most essential pieces that someone needs to know about the energy of where you were when you when this thing happened to you, when you when you got ready to climb Mount Everest or whatever it was, <laughs> you know, what did your world look like? And it's not just about like, hey, I decided one day that I wanted to climb Mount Everest when I grow up. It's like there's a whole situational aspect that informs your story. And we can actually use world building tools to flush that out and make it very real for people so that they are emotionally invested. The other one is character development. And when we are writing nonfiction, it's actually really essential to look at ourselves and anyone else we're telling stories about as characters. Um, what are the most important character traits that we need to see in a story subject to actually get that emotional hook to make the information we're presenting relevant, right? Um, and so there's there's a lot of layers to this, but basically, any kind of teaching that we want to do involves telling good stories. And just like you said about teaching math to high schoolers, right? It's um, it's really it's really important that we meet our our audience where they're at emotionally. And if we can do that, even if our information is simplistic, we just want to move someone from like point A to point B. Like this, you know, it doesn't have to be this whole complicated thing. And I built a seven step system and then we're going to, you know, teach this whole complicated mechanism. It doesn't even have to be that. It's, you know, you're here and I want to bring you here. And I'm going to do that by sharing this emotional hero's journey, basically. Um, so it's, it, it gets complex pretty fast, but you know, that's, that's why we do what we do, right? Like we, we get to, we get to geek out about this stuff and, uh, and assist people through that. But I think it's really important for any author who's starting out thinking, you know, I really want to write a book. I want to talk about my teaching. I want to talk about my thought leadership. I want to talk about, um, you know, the change that I'm being in the world, the first place we want to lean in is who are you as a character, really? Who are you as the fullest expression of yourself? And how can we tell your story in order to give your information more impact and relevance? And when you think about it that way, you start coming up with all kinds of really cool little tidbits from your life that, you know, 10 seconds ago seemed like no big deal. But when you think about, oh, you know, I, I kind of I kind of learned that in that moment, even though it was just this little thing my kids said, or, you know, when I was sitting in traffic, I had this thought, but we can all relate to those little everyday stories, too. It doesn't just have to be the big triumphant uh, wins and the big catastrophic losses. So, so true. This, everything that you just said, uh, I hope someone was taking notes on because it was so good. You you actually gave some really good um, sort of insights on how to bridge the world of nonfiction with fiction. So that way it still has that way of engaging, right? And telling really impactful stories. And then also from a teaching perspective, you just broke down uh, essentially what I've always understood is to teach. Of course, you're laying out information, you're presenting this information and this thought leadership, but teaching, or I should say good teaching is yes, about knowing what to teach, but knowing what not to teach. Right. What to keep out, because to give the whole <laughs> shebang is it really can overwhelm people. And um, but if you're able to take a step back and really give them what they can get from just reading and taking action from the book and they get those results is extremely powerful. So for that teacher who's wanting to and thinking that they need to break down everything and give everything in the book, how do you sort of reel them back in to say, you know, this is going to be a more concise and more effective way of presenting this information or what sort of tips do you give them to focus in on um, what to teach? 
Yeah. So one of the questions I ask a lot of my authors is if there were one thing that you could get everyone on the planet to do differently, that would change everything. What is that one thing? And often that will reveal the core message of the book because there's all kinds of things that we can do and there's all kinds of things that we can teach. But generally there's one massive shift that we're asking of people when we do our work in the world. And that one massive shift is going to be the beginning of the staircase. Um, One of the things that I, I, learned over the years through trial and error, mostly error, is that not everyone wants to be where we are. And it's, it's kind of funny when you think about it, because we always teach from the perspective of wanting to bring people to the level that we're at, right, right? to the level of expertise. But most of the time, that's not actually going to be helpful for people. So when I was, um, Back in my in my freelancing days, I decided I was I'm gonna I'm gonna get into online business. Yay! And I I created this writing course. It was called Cover to Cover, and it was basically like a college course on how to write a nonfiction book. And I had a lot of amazing students in that course, many of whom I'm still in touch with today. You know, five six years later, and um, and I really wanted to to give them like the level of knowledge that would help them write like I write. And to help them be able to produce at the level that I can produce. Mm -hmm. And I completely fire host them. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was was amazing that they stuck with me as long as they did. Um, And what I learned in that process is that a lot of people want to be authors, but not very many authors actually need or want to be writers. And there's a difference. Yes. And... You know, when we're looking at our, our, you know, whatever your expertise is, there are certain problems that you as an expert can help people solve to make their lives better, make their businesses better, make their their fun more fun or their experiences more dynamic. But they don't need expert level like they don't you know like do they need first grade or do they need 12th grade or do they need a phd and a lot of times it's the simple things that seem so basic to us because we've known them for a long time and we've been acting on them for a long time but those things are the most powerful to create the one big shift and if we can kind of look at okay could we divvy up our work into like, you know, beginner level, like mid-grade level and expert level? And most of our clients are going to be at the beginner or mid-grade level. They don't want to do what we do or know what we know. They simply have a massive problem they want to solve and we can solve it for and with them. And when we start thinking about things that way, it completely changes how we approach teaching. Um, And it's actually that learning experience um, was a big part of the reason why I do business now the way I do it. And that I, I don't need my authors to become professional writers in order to write amazing books. They have their expertise. They are geniuses in their field. They don't need to spend 10 years honing their writing skills to produce a great book. Like that's what we're here for. That's our expertise. Um, But it changed my approach a lot. And it also relieved me of any sense of expectation around what, around how I was showing up as a teacher, because I think often when we teach from the place of wanting people to be where we're at and they have different goals and different priorities, we sometimes feel like we failed as teachers because we haven't brought them all the way to step 10 when all they really needed was to get up to step three and continue with their own work, their own genius, their own interests, their own vision. And, um, and so I think that is one of the most important things to know in any teaching capacity, but also in books, because, 
you know, unless you're writing like literally like thesis level stuff for other people who are also wanting to be experts in the way that you're an expert, which is a different approach. Um, most of the time that level of engagement, that level of teaching is going to actually not have a place in your book or in your course or in, you know, any of the work that you do really. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And I've never heard it that way in order to be a, a great author and have a great book. You know, it's not about being a good writer. <laughs> That's not like I, and I hadn't not. thought about that. That makes so much sense, especially if you have someone like you on their team. I mean, you can essentially extract that and um, that's that's just really powerful to have that support as well. And that's like what we get to do as well in terms of um, taking the book and then turning into a course. You know, you don't have to have it all, but just know your expertise and be able to show up and teach is what I say. Um, but let's shift gears really quickly, because in essence, when you, when you have a book that is designed really well and it's easy to take action, there it, there's a strong correlation that the monetization value or factor is also very, very high. So just wanted to shift gears a little bit and talk about really how if a book is made in a way that's um, actionable and it's bringing folks those results, all the different ways you can actually repurpose that book once it's done. Um, oh, goodness. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's um, and this is this is the, the message. And this is, you know, a place where I'm kind of speaking out in my industry. Um, there's this message that just having a book is enough. And that it doesn't really matter so much what's in the book as the fact that you have a book and you can say, look what I did. Um, but I promise you people are reading that book. And so really you have to make sure before you really step up and try to scale and leverage that the book is its best self, you know, and that's an iterative evolutionary process that involves a lot of, a lot of input and, you know, working with the right people who have the right skills. Um, and that includes everything from, you know, from edits, um, line edits, copy edits, cover design, interior layout, uh, proofreading, you know, all of those pieces need to be in place first before you have a product that you can leverage successfully. I mean, I've seen people successfully leverage less than stellar books. Um, and I can tell you that it backfires. So, um, so if you're tempted to just do like write your book in a weekend and then just publish it on Amazon, uh -huh. please, please don't do that. Um, and not because your idea isn't valid or because you're not a good writer. Like I'm sure that, you know, like I've worked with people who are fantastic writers who still needed support to craft the arc of their book in a way that made the teaching useful. So we, we all need, I, I hire editors for my own ghostwriting work 15 years in. I mean, this is really important guys to get this perspective. So let's just, let's just say that all of that is in place mm -hmm. And that your book really, truly has become its best self and you're ready to leverage it. Um, to me, the ROI on a book very rarely comes from book sales directly, except in one specific instance. And I'll, I'll share a bit about that in a minute. The ROI on a book comes from credibility. And this is why the book needs to be its best self, because the people who are going to sit down and spend five to 15 hours or more reading your words, if you can move them, if you can get them to take that action, to climb those three steps, to actually do the thing, then they're going to tell people about that. So that's one. Um, however, the, the real return on investment to me comes in, in three different ways. One is credibility, like I said. So if you have to have mechanisms in place to leverage that credibility, to be able to, um, you know, to leverage your book, to get on more podcasts, to have more speaking engagements, to uh, get introductions to the people you want to connect with. And it's shocking how easily and organically that happens when the book truly is well done and well received. It just, it's like, I read your book. It was amazing. I want to introduce you to my friend. You know, it, it just happens. And it happens even if you don't have a huge community already. Um, number two 
is when you get those speaking engagements, when you get those interviews, uh, bulk book sales. That's the one area of book sales that is really a moneymaker is bulk sales. So a lot of my clients will build book sales into their speaking fees. So, um, you know, if they have a particular speaking fee, let's say it's $10,000, um, they will either allocate a portion of that to provide books for everyone at the event, or they will say, my fee is this plus a book for every person in the seat. Um, and what that does is it provides a touch point. So you wow them with your amazing keynote and then they get to take you home, right? Like they get to take you home and keep, keep reading your words. And, and, you know, again, like, having that book be be really beautifully crafted, they will be able to hear you on the pages. And, you know, I think we all have like this relationship with our favorite authors. Like, I mean, you know, th just think about the books that I read as a kid and like how close I felt to those writers, even though I had no idea who they were, I'd never met them, you know, like, I mean, I grew up in the eighties, so this is pre-email, you know, <laughs> like, um, you know, <laughs> you think about, you know, um, this feeling that you're connected to this person and that you have have had this conversation, right? So now you have this double whammy of having actually had a conversation in real life, and then they get to take you home and have another conversation through your book. Um, so that's that's another one. The other really is is client services and sales. And so um, what happens when you have, again, a book that is passed around, that is talked about, that is seen, you know, being shared. And this is like collaborative launch models are a huge part of what we do because we want people to see the community sharing the book. Um, organic lead generation and sales is huge. Um, I have a client who, um, Aloka Potterai, his book launched in January. Uh, he went Wall Street Journal bestseller, which was like, woohoo, we're so happy. Um, and even within a week, after that launch, he was getting DMs. My friend gave me your book. I read it in a night. It was so amazing. How do I work with you? You know, I mean, and we're talking about, you know, multiple tens of thousands of dollars to work with him in a coaching container for six months. And that happened over and over and over again. And it he, like he was promoting the book. Sure. But this was a person handing it to a person and saying, oh my gosh, you have to read this, right? So to me, it's a long game. People who uh, who go into launches with expectations that, you know, I, I'm going to do this big launch and then I'm not going to ever have to do anything for my book ever again. Um, no, that's not the case. We really, it's it's a long, slow game. I have another client. Um, we, we did her book. Uh, in 2018, it originally launched. Um, her name is Michelle Jakovic. Her book is Prosperity After Divorce. And that book has been just kind of quietly doing its thing as she completely shifted her business model, as she moved into, you know, a different model of coaching. She now has a very successful entrepreneurial uh, financial coaching business. And just this past fall in 2021, she was interviewed by People Magazine for the work that she had talked about in this initial book, Prosperity After Divorce. And it just, it had been just doing its thing and circulating. And so, you know, four years later, almost, there's this massive breakthrough around this work because it's been serving people this whole time. And so I think, you know, having an expectation that everything is going to happen in the first four weeks or even in the first four months is, is actually not realistic. Um, and so what I try to do with my clients is I try to look at, are we going to be able to create a 10 X or more ROI over the lifetime of this work? And this is why I actually don't encourage people to write books when they're first starting their businesses, because it's a big investment of time and funds and energy and you really kind of want to be certain that you've at least landed in the vicinity of what you want to be doing for the next several years. Um, because like the client I just mentioned, even if you make some shifts, the essence of your purpose will still be aligned. And so even if the subject matter is slightly different, 
Um, you know, you're in a place where you know what you want to teach, you know, the change that you want to create, you understand how your work impacts people. And so yes, if the design of it shifts, yeah, no problem. If the, um, if the even the context of it shifts, no problem. But when you're still in exploration and radical shifting mode, to write a book from that place might land you with a product that doesn't feel aligned 12 months from now. And that's not fun. You know, I've seen that happen to a number of people um, who wrote books to launch their businesses. And then 12 months in, they're like, I don't even teach this anymore because my work has evolved as I explored it. And so, um, you know, I never want to discourage anyone from writing ever. And so if you're like, yeah, I'm just starting my business, but I'm so called to write my book right now. Like, yeah, go for it. Like trust, trust that inner voice more than anything or anyone else. Um, that said, if you're like, should I have a book? Should I not have a book? And you don't feel this huge inner pressure to like, yes, you must right now. Cause sometimes that happens. You know? yeah, <laughs> like absolutely. we have to listen to that. <laughs> but if, if it's, if it's more of a strategic decision, um, when it comes to return on investment, I do see that the, the more impactful books tend to come from people who have tested their ideas in the marketplace, who know that the way that they're teaching about their ideas is impactful and actually moves people forward. Um, Because the delivery is just as important as the idea. And so sometimes, as I discovered, like what I told you about that course I created, sometimes the thing that we think we're going to teach completely changes when once we actually teach it and we get feedback from real people who are experiencing the work. So um, so really when when looking at actually making money from books, book sales, icing on the cake, not the cake. It's really it's really about who are you getting in front of, what uh, relationships are you building, who is reading your work? How can you leverage the credibility that your book provides? How can you leverage the credibility to get speaking engagements and visibility opportunities that will then sell more books and get it into more people's hands? Um, and when you look at it that way, you know, you're, you don't have to have the giant goal of selling 100,000 books in order to make the investment of your time and energy worth it. Um, you know, how many... How many coaching packages do you need to sell in order to recoup your investment? How many people's lives do you want to touch with this book? And if it's it's more of a movement maker approach, then how can you have fun leveraging the book to create the movement, which is then going to create the money making opportunities? So it's a little different for everyone. Um, I don't think that there is one single strategy that tops them all. I think it really depends on where people are at in their businesses and what their communities look like and who they have uh, relationships with and all of that. But um, but it almost never comes from book sales. And that's true even for traditionally published New York Times bestselling authors. Yeah. Uh, it's really true across the board. Books are a medium for gifting your ideas to the people who need to hear them and who will hire you. Beautifully said, beautifully said. All right, it's time for a short break. Let's hear a word from one of our sponsors. Are you an author and ready to leverage your book? Maybe you have a great idea for a course or program, but you need help fleshing it out with someone and making sense of what you have. If that's you, I wanna invite you to schedule a free half hour strategy session with me. We'll take a look at your content together, talk about your goals, and I'll provide my professional and honest recommendations. No salesy stuff or surprises. So to schedule a call, visit theauthorsleverage.com forward slash course strategy. All right, now back to the show. I'm curious as well as we start to wrap up this conversation, how do you see digital products um, fitting into that world for authors? Well, you know, it's it's so interesting because as attached as I am to paper, and, you know, being able to hold the thing. Um, I do feel like most of our interactions um, above and beyond a book happen in the digital space. Mm -hmm. I mean, hopefully we'll be 
to want to get back to in-person events at some point or other, uh, you know, on a mass scale. I think we're all craving that. But but the daily interface that we have in general is digital. And so I feel like being able to continue the movement up the ladder from where the book left your audience um, is a huge, it's just huge. And so digital products, I believe, are really the way to do that. And I feel like it's a way to, um, you know, to to get from that like beginner to that mid-range expertise level that we talked about, or it's a way to take people who are really interested in the work and actually bring them into like a certification program or an expert level knowledge. Um, one person I see doing this really, really well is Dr. Sue Mortar. Um, she wrote a book called The Energy Codes, which I, I have the privilege of working on. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. And um, she has a fabulous Facebook community for that group where everybody can come and discuss the practices in the book. And, um, you know, she's she, her work is just brilliant. But a lot of times what will happen is there's an evolution out of the book and into the digital courses, the um, Body Awake Yoga certifications, you know, all these other beautiful pieces that she's doing, but none of them are replicating what's in the book. They're mirroring it, they're expounding on it, they're going deeper with it, but they're not like play for play what's in the book, right? The book was like this beautiful way to introduce the vastness of this theory of the energy codes that she's created. Um, you know, and uh, and of course this is me putting, you know, my words around it. I obviously, this is not the way that Sue would speak about her work, but um, you know, this is my take on it. And, um, and you know, it's it's a way to invite people deeper into the work. And so I feel like if there is a natural continuation from the book that will continue to move people up that ladder, that will continue to invite them deeper into the work, then that is genius in the digital space. Yeah. And sometimes it's, you know, the question comes up of, you know, is how do you know if a book is worth the time and energy of then extending into this next stage as a digital product, as a certification. Do you have any, any advice around that or ways uh, someone can easily say, yep, this will be worthwhile to continue in a, a different format? I feel like that is something that you're going to get that information directly from your community of readers. And you can look at the questions that they're asking. You can have the conversations because especially if you have some sort of contact information in your book, right? You're going to get DMs. You're going to get emails. You're going to, you know, oh my God, I love this book. And can you tell me more about, right? And, um, and you know, you just continue to have the conversation where you're inviting people into that discussion. And I think that pretty quickly, you'll understand if there is a space between your book and like your high level offerings or services or products where there's more to be explored that could really bring value to people. And I think, you know, it, it will shape itself if you allow it. And if you're willing to receive the feedback and have the conversations um, that will inform you as to what that could look like. I, I feel like um, there's a, a little bit of a time lag really optimally between when your book comes out and when you expand into the digital product or course range, my opinion only. Um, and I know some people feel differently and, and they've had great success. So, you know, this is just my opinion, but I think that when you allow real life feedback to shape how you craft your next offer, um, it really goes a long way toward enrolling people who have already been enrolled in the book. Um, but also feeling like they're part of the community and part of the conversation and that you're providing something that is in a direct response to what they asked for. Right. And, um, you know, sometimes sometimes that plays out in strange ways. Um, but for the most part, I think it's it's a really it's a solid way to um, to expand on and craft offers. I love that. I love that. This is helpful for me. <laughs> For sure. I mean, this is this is our world where, you know, we're 
taking books and then repurposing it in a way that can be you know, leveraged in a different way. So that's extremely helpful advice. So thank you. And Absolutely. as we wrap up the conversation, um, could you share, I, I, I asked just about every guest that comes on, what does the author's leverage mean to you when you hear that phrase or that, uh, you know, the, the combination of words? <laughs> what comes to come to mind for you as a way that you would, I don't know, explain it or share it, what it means to you? Yeah. So I feel like um, I love I love the idea of leverage, like in the physics sense. Right. And so if we're going to tip the scale for somebody in some way, then the leverage is literally the weight that lifts what's on the other end of the lever. And so when I think about leverage for authors and I think about the beautiful work that you're doing is that it's adding weight to this, to the, to the seesaw really. And that it's, it's just another way for the author to lift and elevate their work in the world. And, you know, and any way that we can find support to elevate our work in the world is, is not just in service to us, but it's in service to the collective. And so I, I love, I love the name. I love the title. And I feel like, you know, that's, you know, I feel like it relates energetically to the way that, that you work and to the way that you serve. And I know it feels aligned to the way that I work and serve as well. It's like, this is about elevating, um, you know, people's big ideas and the ideas that we need if we're going to move forward as a species yeah. and as a collective and as a society and as a planet. Um, and so those ideas need to be cared for and nurtured and raised so that they're visible. And, um, and I think, you know, when we, when we kind of look at it that way, it's like, okay, well, what weight do I need to add to the scale? Mm. And, you know, whether that's, you know, adding the weight of a really great book, right? <laughs> And then, you know, adding the weight of a really beautiful, well-crafted course, you know, <laughs> like, and it just, you know, and then the crazy thing that happens that I want to kind of speak into this too, because um, I think it's really, really important is that when we invest the time and we find the right people to help us make a truly quality product we feel more confident in putting the whole force of our energy behind that product. And that is leverage too. Yes. And when we feel like we have the best possible book, the best possible course that we are capable of creating and that we've enlisted expertise around, um, I see this over and over with my clients. They start off like, yeah, you know, I think I, I want to write a book. I want to like, you know, this is my gift to my community. I really just want to get this idea out there. And by the end of it, they're like, hell yeah, Wall Street Journal, here I come. Because they know that putting something that they've crafted out there at that level yes. is not as scary because they've enlisted all the help they need to make it its best self. And they can believe in it in a way that they couldn't when it was just a concept. That's so, true. so I feel like that's, you know, to me, from my point of view, that's a huge part of the beauty of the work that you're doing is that it's not just like, let's slap together a course and, you know, put it on our website. It's like what you're crafting is, is artwork, you know, I mean, it's this beautiful expression. And when someone sees that they have, that their idea has created this level of, you know, of authority and expertise and, and professionalism, mm -hmm. like they step into themselves in yes. a whole new way. Yes. And that in it, that's leverage too, right? Like that's extra, say, like, extra weight on the seesaw. Yeah, <laughs> the ultimate one right there is like when the the person who's conveying that information is able to show up um, confidently. And I've even seen it with them coming on set with us. Yeah. And I mean, it's just like brilliance. Like they really show up with their best because the quality of the work is there, the quality of, you know, everything that they've invested, right? It's at a certain level. And so they show up, like, it's almost like they rise to, you know, um, to that as well themselves. 100%. Yeah. And it's, 
it's, you know, it's not a thing that you can measure. There's not a metric for it, but I see it over and over and over. It's like, I am proud to take ownership of this now. And I may have not felt confident in it before, but I do now. And that alone is, it's just so, it's so beautiful. And and then the ideas get out there in a bigger way. And it becomes, you know, instead of dropping a pebble into a pond, now you've dropped a boulder. Yes. And, you know, and you're like owning that. And like, yeah, I'm going to shake things up for sure. <laughs> I, love this. I love this. So, Bryna, where can folks get in touch with you? And um, I, I would love for you to share any parting words of advice to those that are listening. And, oh, thank um, you. Yes. So you can find me at uh, worldchangers.media is the website. And uh, there's a link right on the homepage to just book a a 20 minute virtual coffee with me. I love hearing about people's big ideas. I love talking through, you know, expansive possibilities. So um, that's really the best way to reach me. You can also email me through the website Um, and uh, find me on Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, But uh, maybe Instagram someday, but I haven't gotten there yet. (laughs) <laughs> oh, good. You're you're out there somewhere. <laughs> Somebody can. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> someday, someday, yeah. I promise I'll be active on Instagram. It's not today. <laughs> oh boy. Well, Brian, thank you so much for being here. Um, I I just uh, I want to acknowledge you and you know your heart and your soul that you've put into this work. It is really evident that that's the case, and I, I know that it's just such a blessing and a miracle for a lot of people because I'm finding that we need each other. Um, and I'm just excited and grateful to know you and um, to know that you're out, out there doing this kind of work. You know, you and your Thank you so much. Thank you. It's <laughs> just been an absolute pleasure to speak with you and yeah, to be continued. Yes, yes, yes. Until <laughs> next time, see you. And thanks for checking out the, the author's leverage. Um, if you are interested in more information about what we're up to, um, we have an upcoming masterclass, which you'll be getting more information about. But in the meantime, We have this wonderful community we have started called The Faculty. So visit jointhefaculty.com. That's going to be available in the coming week as well because we're in um, really fun development development stage, if you will. But um, check that out because we're going to be sharing more strategies that authors can use to monetize their books. So um, look forward to that. And thank you again for being here. Remember, we grow the most when we transform knowledge into action. See you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Author's Leverage. You can subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcast. Hey, do me a favor. If you found this helpful, leave us a review and share this episode with someone it could help along their journey. To check out more resources, visit theauthorsleverage.com. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time.